Welcome to Our Jewish Roots with insightful Bible teaching by Dr. Jeffrey Seif. This week, we travel to Corinth and then Rome as we follow in the footsteps of the rabbi from Tarsus. so glad you've joined us today. I am David Hart. I'm Kirsten Hart. I am ecstatic. Jeffrey <laughs> Seif here, coming from the city of Corinth. It is so cool to go back to the Bible places. It is. Not just Corinth, but ancient. A lot of biblical history in this. I know you're excited about today's series. It's, today's so, it's so cool. You know, most most professors, pastors get a, get a podium somewhere in a room. Uh, our viewers are going to go to Corinth. It's great to go to the places. Mm. And, and the spots are still there where Paul himself taught and walked. And our viewers walk with us. Yes. I love it. That's a good thing. Dr. Seif is there right now, ancient Corinth. Let's go there now. Welcome to ancient Corinth, where ancient worlds collided and where people collided within those worlds evidence of this multicultural environment is still gleaned from this site 2,000 years after the biblical story was played out here. Even it extends way beyond that. We have the once great temple to Apollos to my west. We have a sanctuary to my east where the Greeks were looking over to the edge of life over the edge, in fact, to the grave, you can see a laurel wreath where a ferryman uh, is uh, tendering a, a boat to take the dead to Hades. We can find just uh, to my north what was the site of the temple of Aphrodite's. Just straight away is the Ionian Sea, which took sailors due west to Italy. And then not far from here, there's a port where uh, ancient Corinth could, in a reasonably short period of time, get connected to the Aegean Sea. And by virtue of that, Asia Minor and points east. Corinth, it was a vast city. A few hundred thousand people lived here, and it's estimated by some that 200,000 of them were Jews. All kinds of people came to this place, and all kinds of ideas were represented in this place. On Paul's second missionary journey, Paul injected a new way of thinking into this world. As he were told in uh, Acts chapter 18, he made his way to Corinth after Athens. 
and there he, we're told, entered into a synagogue. He always could get a speaking engagement. He was a member of the Parushim, the Pharisees, so he can get invited in. But then he taught strange new things and invoked the ire of some by virtue of so doing. Still, prominent Jews had come to faith, and Luke tells us that the, uh, the head uh, Zekinim, the head elder of the synagogue, the arch synagogos, to use a Greek expression, had come to faith as well, creating quite a stir, I'd imagine. So Paul, as his custom was, he uh, goes into synagogues and people come to uh, a faith in him, but then there's quite a stir. Well, he labored for the better part of 18 months here in Corinth, to establish a congregation, but then he moves on down the road and he writes this document called 1 Corinthians from the city of Ephesus. We've taken you there. Uh, you'll see Ephesus in all of its ancient glandor as well. Well, what happens is Paul uh, gets word. We're told in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, that uh, members from Chloe's household, probably a leading uh, member of the congregation here, had gotten a letter off to Paul that things have cratered in Corinth. Paul was very disconcerted that uh, not everyone was minded to respond to his authority. Some said, I belong to Paul. Some said, I belong to Apollos, a, a noteworthy teacher from Alexandria, Egypt in antiquity, a guy who'd come to faith in Jesus. Uh, some said, I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to this and that. And Paul is wrapped around the axle. He is not a happy camper because his authority has been questioned beyond that. Paul learns of sexual impropriety, that it was rife in Corinth. It's understandable at one level. We're all wired with sexual impulses, but the Corinthians were given to give free vent to their uh, interests and expressions. This is so much the case that to refer to someone as a Corinthian was in effect to say that they were loose with their sexual favors. This is made popular in history, in fact, because of a temple that I alluded to earlier to Aphrodite's where Strabo, an ancient historian, says there were the better part of 1,000 temple prostitutes that used to wear on the heels of their shoes a little sign that said, follow me, and they'd lead people off to attend to their business. Well, uh, the, 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 the Greeks and the Romans weren't very squeamish about sexuality, and here in Corinth, uh, licentiousness seems to have been celebrated. So what happens is some people come to faith in Jesus, but they bring their old way of being into the new economy. And the net result is that Paul deals with a church where there's uh, sexual related issues that need to be attended to, as is amply reflected in his document that we call 1 Corinthians. It was a fractured church, it was a divided church, and the business of the different parts of the body being scattered and fractured seems amply attested, not just in the verbiage, in the literature from this ancient Corinthian document, but even in Corinth itself. Here there was a shrine to Asclepius, the god of healing, and therein the uh, people that were afflicted with sicknesses would take a body part that was ill and they would just give a cast of that to try and get the attention of the God to say, look at this body part. So there are a variety of body parts that were uncovered here when it was excavated, some of which are, in fact are being displayed right now. Well, the image of body parts scattered about, Paul uses it in the language of the text to say, don't say I'm better than this and that. We're all one body organically linked together. 
Of course, Paul was challenging that body to come together because they were going a variety of different directions. Speaking of different directions, Paul, who writes from Ephesus, was minded to cross the Aegean Sea and come and see them. However, he was not wanting to do so at this juncture. He wanted to give them a tense letter, a rebuke, the kind of a rebuke that a father will give in order to try and correct the way we're children. I love the way he ends, and let me end on that note as well. He, sh he shares travel plans here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 5. He says, I'm planning on coming to you when I pass through Macedonia, northern Greece. He wants to come back this way. And he says, it may be that I'm going to remain and spend some time and then even spend the winter there. He says in verse 7 something that's revealing, I believe. He says, but I do not wish to see you now. This was a rebuke. The rabbi from Tarsus was disconcerted by information that he received relevant to the Corinthian church, and he wanted them to mend their ways in order that when he came to them, he might not have to have such a tense disposition, but can share some of the affection that he wanted. Well, it's all about growing and glowing, and here Paul, as we follow in his footsteps, we see him writing, exhorting, disciplining, but loving amidst it all as he looks to help people walk in the footsteps of Jesus. This we see as we walk in the footsteps of the rabbi from Tarsus. First Corinthians was a blistering critique, and Second Corinthians was mild by comparison. And in Second Corinthians chapter seven, Paul notes in verse five that when he came to Macedonia, he was pressed. But then in verse six, he gives voice to a comfort that he received when Titus came to him bringing good news, good news that the Corinthians were minded to reconnect with Paul. And so here Paul says that he's learned of their desire, their mourning, their zeal for him. With the net result, Paul says that I rejoiced even more. Here Paul's a happy camper. His spirits are lifted. His confidence is risen. And then he proceeds to uh, follow through with something that was implemented previously. Previously, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, had encouraged the church in Corinth to help the brethren in Judea. Paul was interested in reaching beyond Judea, but he wanted the non-Jewish congregations to reach back to Judea. Now, isn't that something that's lacking today? And then in chapters 8 and 9, he proceeds to advocate for an offering. Yeah, Paul said, in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, concerning the ministering of the saints, it's superfluous for me to write to you. Hey, I don't need to talk to you about money. You know, it's all not even necessary. He goes on to say, for I know your willingness about which I boast to you to the Macedonians. Interesting. Here in Corinth, this is Achaia. Macedonia is on the mainland. There was a lot of spirited competition between the Achaeans and the Macedonians. Paul says, listen, relative to this offering, you know, I was boasting the Macedonians that you guys are getting after it. See, he's in part playing one against the other because the Macedonians gave a good offering and he wants them to do likewise. An offering for what? 
Interestingly, in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, on better footing as he is, Paul is leaning on them to be gracious financially. But what's he leaning on them to do? Does he need a new car to travel about in his apostolic journeys? Does he want to buy a boat? Uh, does First Baptist Church of Corinth need a new education building? No, he's raising money because he wants to help support the work of the Lord amongst the Jewish people. As I said a moment ago, I love it. The apostle of the Gentiles still had a heart of the Jews. Would that uh, spirit prevail in the church today? I'd, I'd certainly be a happy camper. And it certainly would be congruent with what this apostle was all about. But don't take my word for it. Open your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and let's uh, look at his argument. He says in verse 6, But this I say to you, he who sows sparingly, will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. This is where you get the old, what you sow is what you reap. Uh, you give a little, you get a little, you give a lot, you get a lot. This conversation is played out against the backdrop of trying to raise missions money to get the Corinthians to help the brethren in Judea. He says in verse seven, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Paul here is going after the fact, he's kind of harking back to a text in Moses, where people were asked to give willingly from the heart, not out of a sense of compulsion, and they indeed did just that. Here Paul, in like manner, wants the believers here in Corinth, in the shadow of the temple, you can see the pillars to the former temple to Apollos behind me. And here in Corinth, you can see vestiges, footprints of things Greek and of things Jewish. It was a sizable population here of Jews, interestingly. Some 200,000 settled in Corinth proper in Paul days, almost matching the number of non-Jewish people. This was a cosmopolitan city. It was a Hellenistic city. The Jewish folk that were here were not of Judean extract themselves, but they belonged to the diaspora, to the Galut. Paul wanted the Jews here to be connected to the Jews in Israel. He wanted the non-Jews here that have come to faith in the Messiah of Israel to be connected to the Jews in Israel to help them as they find themselves pressed amidst the turbulence of trying times. Paul says, let's rise up and show fidelity. Let's show that we're not wanting to break away from the Jewish people and let's show that tangibly with an offering. And so they did. Paul was so pleased by all of this. In the Romans correspondence, he even harks to it. If you look in Romans chapter 15, now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. He's writing to the Romans and he's expressing his travel plans to go to the Jewish people. He says in 26, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia, Achaia being here. He writes after the fact and says, you know, those folk in Macedonia and Achaia, they really rose to the occasion. Now, come on, Romans, we want you to do it much the same. We're told to please those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. And he goes on to encourage them in like manner to be of service to the saints in Jerusalem. So what have we here? First Corinthians, Paul's going after the Corinthians. Why is that? Because the thing is spiraling out of control. Paul writes second Corinthians, he realizes he gets control. Things settle down, things calm down. Paul reasserts his authority and he exhorts them to continue with their plans to love the Jewish people. 
I know I've said that a little bit earlier in this teaching segment, but I'm of the belief if it's not worth saying a hundred times, it's not worth saying once, would that the church today cared for the Jews as much as the apostle to the Gentiles urged them to here when he wrote 2 Corinthians. wonder about your future as a believer in the Messiah? Our founder, Zola Levitt, wrote a booklet that tells us what lies ahead. Glory, the future of the believers. Inside, Zola explains the coming rapture, our time in heaven, the kingdom on earth, and then eternity. Find out what God has prepared for those that love him. Call 1-800-WONDERS or go to levitt.com. Bible teaching is timeless, and it's a thrill to go back and follow in Paul's footsteps, something that I did 13 years ago. While biblical teaching is timeless, we find ourselves at a place now where we need to interrupt it, but briefly, to speak to something that's timely. We find ourselves at a point in time when we're all in the throes of uh, legitimate concerns associated with a pandemic. And I know that you're concerned about it and its implication, as are we here at Our Jewish Roots. We work indefatigably to get the news out, but we can't turn it around in 24 hours. I've spent the better part of today and yesterday doing a series on Revelation that'll come to you in short order, but we want to get information to you on the quick. First, I want to thank you for going with us on the journey. We appreciate our friends and want you to know that if you'll access our internet sites, you know, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, we have messages there that speak more directly to the moment. We want to give you good news through the eyes of the Jews, and we live in a world today where good news is in very high demand and very short supply. We're on it. We care about it. Thank you for letting us interpret the biblical word to you. Off we go with the Apostle Paul. Go with us into the future as we walk down life's highways together through hills, valleys, mountains, and cross streams. God bless. This is the glory that was Rome. I'm coming to you from the belly of the Roman Forum. It's easy to be here and it's like going back into a time machine, journeying back to Rome when it was splendid. Rome at its zenith, at its high water mark, where Rome was left an indelible mark on the pages of history. Rome, we have tributes to Caesars and Senates. There's arches that bespeak previous triumphs, and now it's all faded. But there's one story from Rome that continues to shine. It illuminates, it impacts, and that is a book that was written to the Romans, not from Rome. Actually, when Paul penned Romans, he'd never been here. Apparently, folk were here in the days of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and they came back to the city, and the net result is that a movement got started off here, and Paul put pen to paper to write them. He starts off in his uh, opening to his Romans epistle saying how uh, things were so very debauched in Rome, so very licentious. People were given to egregious sexual sins. It so much reminds me of the world today in so many respects. 
And Paul wrote to the church at Rome and he said that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Women and men of Jewish extract have sinned. Individuals of non-Jewish extract have sinned. And as a result, they've been bit by the viper. Sin has made its entrance onto the stage of the human drama. And the net result is that the race is defiled. It's vitiated. So much for the bad news. The good news, despite the fact that the wages of sin is death and that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, rather, despite the wages of sin, the good news is, is that there's a remedy. There's a, a medicinal potion in order to heal what ails, and that is through the blood of Jesus, according to Paul. And Paul wrote the Christians at Rome to encourage them in faith. Not only in faith, apparently there were some problems between Christians in Rome of non-Jewish extract and people of Jewish extract. And the question is, how can we get these people on the same page? What had happened in Rome in advance of Paul's writing his epistle was the uh, Jews that lived in the city of Rome were kicked out. Luke tells us in Acts 18.2 that Claudius, who was emperor, had forced all the Jews to leave. When uh, Paul wrote Romans, however, Nero's in power, and one of the things that Nero did is he allowed Jews to return. So we had a unique situation here in Rome, and that is that the church, Paul's churches were typically constituted principally by women and men of Jewish extract with smatterings of non-Jews. But here's the church that developed almost entirely a non-Jewish culture given the fact that there were no Jews in Rome. But then when Jews started making their way back to Rome, then they come back into a church that had kind of solidified, institutionalized along uh, non-Jewish uh, lines with the net result there was some ethnic tension. Uh, arguably, Paul heard about it and wanted to address it. And so, though he wasn't an apostle to the church at Rome, he kind of employed his apostolic savvy and authorization and wrote them and encouraged them to uh, make peace one with another, that is, Jews and non-Jews. He spoke about the strong and the weak, and probably he's referencing Jews and non-Jews learning to come to terms and not unduly offend each other. It's interesting, too, if you look at the very heart of the letter, Paul there underscores in Romans 9, 10, and 11 for the Gentile churches, that the Gentile Christians, rather, that they must needs be reminded that God has a plan for the Jewish people. He has an endearing and enduring love for the Jewish people that apparently was diminishing somewhat. So Paul wrote them and encouraged them to encourage the church to, to love the Jewish people, to connect with their Jewish brethren that were making their way back into the city. When Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, you can sense the passion. The letter is effusive, it's dripping with feeling. Paul says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He's so very gracious, he says, I bear them witness they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, had a love for his Jewish brethren. In fact, the, the epistle even begins, he says in chapter 1, that the gospel is for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It seems to me that the church has gone, has its various traditions, but we do well to open up the primary literature. And therein, when we read Paul's writings, we can sense his heart. Better it is, it seems to me, that we get in touch with what he had to say 
over and against what the traditions of the day might be. And so for that reason, I advocate that we do well to walk in the footsteps of the rabbi from Tarsus, to read his word and to follow his example, because that is truly where we learn what it means to be Christian. hope you're enjoying this series as much as Kirsten and I are. Um, Dr. Seif, love the locations that you've been teaching at. It must be amazing to stand in these places where Paul was. It's a little bit of heaven. I hope our viewers get some thrill out of seeing the places via the miracle that is television. Walking there is great uh, for all tourists and pilgrims. For me, it's a thrill to teach from the place. Not everybody can go, but when we watch, we can you. you know, 40 years this television program has taken people to the location right. and the fascinating city of Rome, those stones still speak uh, and you can see vestiges of the former empire. It's and fascinating. That's a signature of our program that we actually go on location and um, it's, it's wonderful to read Paul's words, to hear his messages, but to see the life that he lived in, and oh my gosh, his journeys. It, it just didn't take one day or two hours and he was there. There's some intense journeying to get these messages out. There is, and the question is how to get this message out to the next generation that is so visually stimulated. You know, one of the, 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 the benefits of television on location is if our Let's say if an older viewer sees it, and I, I'm not, I'm older, I'm 64, that uh, the, the young see, and the more so they're moved by these images. If we can capture the imagination of a younger generation, and that's what you help us do when we do this. You know that the young are always watching devices and pictures and clips. It is the, the communication mode for the next generation. They, like you, are gonna be thrilled to visit here. I wanna, just on the quick, a verse in Romans chapter 15, Paul says, for if the Gentile have shared in the spiritual blessings of the Jews, they ought to serve them in material blessings. That is, Paul's raising money to advocate for missions money to the Jews. I'm asking you here, please do support us, get behind us. And I want to promise you, every dollar you send, it's not going into my pocket. It is going to pay the expenses associated with the program, not the personnel. Appreciate your help in advance. We have two more programs in this series. Little snippet maybe of what's coming up next week. Following the mailman. Ah, good. <laughs> Paul sends out some letters. Yes. Uh, the same carrier delivered a text to uh, Ephesus and to Colossia. And uh, another mailman took it up to uh, Philippi. We're following the man and his mail. You'll be there on location. Yes, I yes. will. And will you be with us? Please do come. And as you go now, Sha'alu, Shalom, Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Join us right now for additional content that is only available on our social media sites, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Visit our website, levitt.com, for the current and past programs, the television schedule, tour information, and our free monthly newsletter, which is full of insightful articles and news commentary. View it online, or we can ship it directly to your mailbox every month. 
also on our website, is the online store. There, you can order this week's resource, or you can always give us a call at 1-800-WONDERS. Your donations to Our Jewish Roots help us to support these organizations as they bless Israel. Please remember we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you. This has been a paid program brought to you by Zola Levitt Ministry.